Hello and welcome back to Let the Stone Speak. This is a podcast where we talk about the latest in biblical archaeology and biblical history. I'm Brent Noctegal, your host, coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel. I've got two stories to discuss with you today. One is uh, hot off the press, an article by Daniel Master out of the Biblical Archaeology Review magazine, one of the foremost magazines in, in for biblical archaeology, a piece about the evidence for the origins of the Philistines. And this is something that has been discussed over and over and over ad nauseum in archaeological circles. And nowadays we have some evidence based on DNA as to where the Philistines came from. Of course, the Philistines were the arch nemesis of the Israelites through the end of the Judges period through to the period uh, of King David. And they didn't, they stuck around for an extra couple hundred years, of course, as well. And this piece from Daniel Master, who excavated Ashkelon, uh, does go through some of the DNA evidence of where these people came from. And you'll be very interested to stick around uh, to uh, hear that. But first, uh, just, uh, just a smaller story that came out that we published on our website, uh, armstronginstitute.org. If you're not signed up for our email, I suggest that you do that. This is uh, an email that comes out basically when we have some new content, so probably two or three times a week. And this article was entitled, Judges Period Israel, a Hub of Mediterranean Trade Led in God's Reveal. I will say, if you want to sign up for that email, you can just go to uh, the website, armstronginstitute.org, and you'll see plenty of places where you can sign up for it. Or you can send me an email at uh, writing an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org. So straight to this piece now. The first paragraph has this, and then I'll kind of explain what they've done. Scientists at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem have revealed evidence that 3,200 years ago, Israel's coast was a place of significant trading links in the Mediterranean basin. This was established with the latest discovery of shipwrecked cargo, including lead ingots, uncovered near Israel's port of Caesarea, Caesarea. This, of course, is the beautiful port that's made more famous during the time period of, of uh, Herod and thereafter, as it became the seat of the Roman government all the way up to 70 CE and a little bit thereafter. Um, but before this port was in use, you had ships going up and down the coast this uh, a thousand years earlier, and this is when this is from. And you might have recall you might recall a podcast if you've been listening to to us for some time, where we talked about the discovery of tin ingots, and an ingot is is basically the way that they would transport the the metal itself to location before it is melted down into a usable form. And we talked about tin and where it came from and the biblical links to it. And these were shipwrecks that had taken place uh, or discovered um, back in the 80s. And then the technology is coming about through the study of the different isotopes of the version of that element, in that case, uh, tin, and in this case, lead, to try and find, you know, follow that signature of the isotope and find which mine it came from. Or where else in the world do we find that similar lead or tin or that pressure, that metal? And what was found back then is the best in this previous article that we covered, and I think that was based on a 2019 study of lead, it, it, it determined that the shipwrecks from 3,200 years ago off the coast of northern Israel around Haifa Bay it had evidence of trade links all the way through to the southwest of England, the Cornwall and the Devon region, which is very interesting considering 
uh, folklore history or early British history or English history, I should say, uh, writers of what, who was living in these periods and the name of these places um, going back uh, 3,000 years and, and, and even what ancient historians write about how trade was in existence all the way through the, the uh, Tin Islands as they called them as Herodotus called them. And we found proof of that. Archaeologists found proof of that. Looking at the shipwrecks and looking at the tin ingots, knowing exactly where those tin ingots, the, the tin was mined from, and here it is all the way on the coast of Israel. And we talked about the biblical significance of that. And this article kind of, or this discovery, I think is kind of in that same vein. We're not dealing with tin. We're dealing with lead. Uh, lead, of course, is a, a very important um, uh, metal that was used anciently. And then we also, the, the three main ones being um, lead, uh, copper, and tin, all these were, were very uh, useful uh, anciently. And we know that the major copper mines from this period, they're local. They're in southern Israel uh, today. And they were functioning uh, all the way back in the same time period that this lead was being mined. Uh, and we'll get to where it was mined from. And the same time that this the tin was being mined from. And it's all coming to the Eastern Mediterranean, to the area that we know of, of biblical Israel from 3,200 years ago. I'll continue now. It says this, an isotope analysis of the lead by Professor Na uh, Nama Yalomak, Professor Yigal Irel, and their team revealed that the ingots were mined in the central Mediterranean island of Sardinia. They were mined in the central Mediterranean island uh, of Sardinia. The lead pieces are stamped with Cypriot Minoan markings, an en enigmatic script that to this day remains undeciphered of the type used during this late Bronze Age period. According to the press release, the researchers concluded that there was a vast commercial ties between the two populations with the purpose of transporting raw materials. So what we have here is Sardinia uh, is where it was mined from, and then en route to wherever it was going, or, or perhaps it was headed for Cyprus. While in Cyprus, it has some writing put on it, uh, and then it finds itself on a ship off the coast of Israel. Uh, again, 3,200 years ago. And so from Cyprus to, to Sardinia is about uh, 2,500 kilometers, 1,500 miles, um, quite the distance for uh, this uh, lead to be traveling. And then Professor Yaolon Mack said this, and uh, this was from the Journal of, of, of uh, well, in the press release, we think that along with lead, they also imported tin, a sought-after metal in Cyprus and the surrounding area for making bronze. These three metals, copper, lead, and tin, were sold to port cities along the coastlines, including the shores of Israel today. So again, we're putting these three metals together. We know uh, that they imported tin. Uh, we talked about in a previous program how this could be the Phoenicians that were uh, involved in this trade. Uh, the Phoenicians, another enigmatic people that had trade links all through the Mediterranean, even up into Europe and, and other, tra other traditions of going far further to the, to the West, you could say, from, from Europe as well. And, and so here you've got a big trade network that is making sure that metals are finding their way to the Eastern Mediterranean. And what we would say is to the area where the biblical Israelites were and um, Christopher Eames wrote this article, and he says this, 
He says, and there is an interesting biblical link to the early pre-monarchical tin and lead trade occurring at this time. So this is around the period of the Judges, around 1200, probably a little bit before. This is what Judges 5 verse 17 says, again, around the same time. That is the history that Judges writes about. Now, of course, uh, modern scholars would put the book of Judges being written a thousand years later. However, if it was, and this is kind of going going to be a theme of today's program, if it was written a thousand years later, wow, they had their facts right. Wow, they knew their history very well. These were not some people fabricating history. These were people writing about true history, around accurate history from a thousand years earlier, if they were writing that late. Of course, I don't believe they were writing that late. They are probably far closer to the, the time period in question. Judges 5 verse 17 writes, this is Chris, contains criticism against the coastal Israelite tribes of Dan and Asher. So at this same time that you've got ships coming to the coast of Israel containing precious metals or metals that would be used in construction of vessels or construction and helping of buildings or weapons, you have the Bible referencing seafaring tribes. The coastal Israelite tribes of Dan and Asher have been criticized for refusing to join a battle against the Canaanites, choosing instead to man their ports and ships. This is what the King James Version says about this verse, Judges 5 verse 17. Why did Dan sojourn in ships, remain in ships, or it could mean sojourn in ships, and Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches? End quote. The word for ships, Chris writes, here refuses, uh, refers to long-distance vessels, and breach, breaches can be translated harbors. Furthermore, he writes, Deuteronomy 33 reveals that the tribe of Asher dealt in metalwork. Blessed be Asher, iron and brass shall be your bars. And brass is usually translated as bronze, again, a metal produced from copper and tin. And so the Bible refers to, at the same time period that these... Uh, ingots, be it tin or the latest ones, lead, coming from the eastern Mediterranean or all the way up into the British Isles, at the same time that the Bible records that uh, these tin, uh, well, the Bible history covers the same period of this tin coming down here, you have biblical tribes that are involved in seafaring, that are involved in work on the harbor, and they're involved to the point of separating themselves from the battles and the fights of the other Israelite tribes. This battle that referred to in Judges chapter 5 refers to the one of Deborah and Barak uh, against Yabin or Jabin, king of Hatzor uh, in the north. And the western tribes of Asher and Dan didn't come to fight. They were too busy with their own things, doing their own things. And what were they doing? Well, they were manning their ships. They were manning their harbors, their ports instead. And I think this is just a wonderful way uh, that we have um, the way that some recent archaeological evidence can really elucidate the biblical narrative narrative, and really back up and support just exactly what these tribes were doing. Now, the Bible doesn't say that the tribes of Dan and Asher were the ones orchestrating this massive mining uh, or this massive distribution of of, um, metals across the Middle East. But it does say 
that they were involved in its transit, and it makes sense that they would go along uh, with uh, with the Phoenicians in this. Of course, the Phoenici- evidence of the Phoenicians going back about a, until about a thousand BCE that has been discovered, and Sardinia and others, one of the earliest inscriptions of of, of ancient Hebrew or ancient Phoenician, uh, has been disc- found over there in Sardinia, and so it makes sense as well that they would be involved in this trade. So this is amazing how we have ancient historians, including the Bible, that have discussed this trade network of 3,000, 3,200 years ago, and we, we tend to not believe them. Uh, often you wouldn't believe them, but here we have some hard science, some dating of isotopic analysis, probably a bit of carbon dating as, as well in some of these ships, perhaps, I'm not too sure, and with some of the, the more... Uh, hard sciences that are that interpretation is kind of diluted from, or the the degree of interpretation is far less than an archaeologist coming along and digging in the ground and having other material remains and putting it together. When you strip out a lot of the interpretation and you just have the hard science, what do you discover? Well, 3,200 years ago, we had shipping. That was coming from Sardinia on the other side of the Mediterranean to the Israelite coast via Cyprus. And they were mining and they were distributing these ingots to be used. And that is just what the Bible says, at least in terms of what these couple of biblical tribes were doing, they should be involved in. They were involved in this type of trade. So that's an interesting piece. Again, this is at our website, uh, armstronginstitute.org. Now this second piece and this piece is what I would like to cover mostly because, again, this is a, a, wonderful, um, a wonderful way that the Bible and the early history of the, the Philistine people has, is being corroborated through modern scientific means. And um, this isn't the only reason why this is important. However, I do think it is very important because it, when you look at the biblical authors that talk about the roots of these Philistine people that are being excavated, and there was a cemetery excavated uh, in Ashkelon on the coast of Israel, one of the five uh, uh, Philistine cities. When you see what the Bible says about that, it, it, the later authors talking about how those Philistines got there, um, they, they're very clear. They, they, they agree. Now, if you go to some of the earlier books of Genesis, it talks about a different location of these people called the Philistines, and we'll talk about a reason for why that is the case. But these Philistines and what they're doing there, and of course, the most famous Philistine is actually uh, Goliath, of course, that would face off against King Saul and then King David, King David the boy being successful in that battle, of course, Um these people are no, probably the, the people outside, I would say, the Israelites, that the other people that, that most people are aware of when they read the Bible, these big stories, the Philistines, wicked, evil people that the Israelites fought against. Of course, that's probably an incorrect reading of the Bible. Uh, and in terms of, let's say, this backwoods type of people that the Israelites were fighting against, um, really what the Bible and also the material culture of these excavations brings out, their stuff from these Philistine cities bring out is that they were highly developed, uh, sophisticated people with weapons of warfare that, saw, that the Israelites didn't have. And they were warring people. And they brought with them a lot of techniques from the place that they came from, uh, it seems, as well. 
Now, Christopher Reams has a really good article on uh, Armstrong Institute uh, right now, and I'll leave a link for it, link to it in the show notes. And it's one that you should really read if you've if you've got any type of deliberation in your mind about uh, uh, the fil- early Philistine history as being a- anachronistic uh, to history, meaning that the Bible talks about the Philistines back during Abraham's time. And as far as this article we're going to go through, and other biblical uh, historians and archaeologists, they would say that the Philistine people, as a people, only migrated sometime in the 13th, 12th century, uh, 500 years before or after Abraham, around 500 years after Abraham. Now, Chris's piece goes through why that is the case why the Bible talks about the Philistines and the range of people discussed as being Philistines and the, the name Philistine and what it means and how the name of that means, uh, name of that, that, that word Philistine changes over time and how it's not always referring to the same people, but basically the inhabitants of this region. And he, go through, he goes through a lot of evidence, biblical textual evidence, to show that the Bible is clearly referring to two separate people. And he bases that on the biblical text uh, and differences when ref- how the, the Philistines are referred to when referring to them uh, in Abraham's time, Isaac's time, and then going, and even the book of Genesis time, um, and then going forward to the Philistines that we hear about during the time of the judges and the Philistines of David and Saul's time and thereafter. And what we're going to focus on this article is are those Philistines. And so definitely go and read that article. This one, though, it's behind a paywall, so you might not be able to get to it, unfortunately. I think it's a really well laid out article. It goes through the background of these Philistines, some of the archaeological debate uh, about them, where they came from, what the Bible says, and what the evidence is as to their origins. Now, of course, it's very hard to determine the origins of a people. You can base it upon the the discovery of material culture, their stuff, what it looks like, its links to other stuff found elsewhere. Um, But I think what we have today in, in, in terms of studying the DNA of these individuals, it does really narrow the window of, of the places or the area, the distribution of where they came from, and you can tell whether it was a people migrating to that place or maybe just the material culture of a far-off place coming to this location. Now, people have understood or just really kind of um, over the years haven't really known. It looks like the material culture of the Aegean, more the Greek Greek, Greek culture, uh, just let's say Greek culture that, that came to this area. And some of the story in, in the time of, of David and Goliath, and it really does mimic a lot of early Greek history, the way the battle took place. And so there are some textual links as well. Um, however, let's just strip away all of that because it's so heavily based in interpretation. And then what you have now are the discovery of infant babies, burials at Ashkelon, definitely a Philistine city. And you can determine, well, let's look at their DNA. Where's the closest match to these people? Is it the local Canaanite population? Is it from Egypt? Is it from elsewhere? And that's what they've been doing here uh, in Ashkelon. I do want to just um, set this up by reading the first couple of paragraphs uh, of this, of this article by Daniel Master. And this was just published, I think, two days ago. 
In Biblical Archaeology Review, it's titled Piece by Piece, Exploring the Origins of the Philistines, and I'll certainly leave a link uh, for this piece in the show notes of today. Who were the Philistines? For centuries, the answer seemed clear. The Philistines were ancient people from the Bible, villains fighting against God's people. Every Philistine success was lamented, every defeat celebrated in a classical clash between the forces of light and darkness. No one cheered for the Goliath's military prowess or applauded Delilah's seduction. But what was the origin of these ancient villains? The table of nations in Genesis 10 seems to connect the Philistines with Egyptians. Other texts in Deuteronomy, Amos, and Jeremiah place them in Kaftor, leading some to speculate that Kaftor was in the Egyptian delta. According to this hypothesis, the Philistines must have arrived sometime before the era of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Building on the discoveries of 200 years, he's talking about how people have come to understand the origins of the Philistines. Some of it being incorrect, some of it being correct. Building on the discoveries of the past 200 years, we are not reliant solely on the Bible to formulate our conclusions. Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian texts all speak of the Philistines. Archaeologists have now excavated four of the major Philistine cities listed in the Hebrew Bible, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gat. More recently, geneticists have sequenced Iron Age genomes from the city of Ashkelon, providing dramatic new insights into Philistine origins and all these sources clarify the philistine story and that's what we're going to get to in this piece now if this seems familiar it is we wrote a piece about the very initial dna evidence that was surfacing uh from uh from this site and we wrote about this back in 2019 the article is entitled dna study shows bible correct on philistine origins and we base that off the the thorough report, the initial report um, that was put out by Daniel Master and others uh, about the Philistine origins based off some of this DNA evidence. And he goes through the process of when, when this report came out and then more evidence that the need to derive more evidence. Now, some would say we kind of jumped the gun on our pronouncement that it showed the Bible is correct and being very loud and noisy uh, about that. Uh, fact, but he is going to vindicate the the conclusions that that the Bible uh, says, and that we said in in our article from from three almost three years ago now. He writes this: As soon as hieroglyphs were deciphered in the nineteenth century, references to Peleset were observed in ancient Egyptian texts. The Peleset were immediately connected to Philistines, an equation still considered valid today. And indeed, that seems that seems correct, because the Egyptians' new kingdom, new kingdom, had dominated the land of Canaan in the preceding centuries. Egyptian records would likely have mentioned any Philistines even tangentially, tangentially involved in the Southern Levant. <clears throat> so, when they suddenly appear in 12th century inscriptions from the walls of Ramesses the Third, Third's temple at Medinet Habu. We have a good indication of when they first arrived in the region. In the Egyptian text, the Peleset appear as part of a confederation of people that from, peoples from the islands who wreaked havoc across the eastern Mediterranean and finally attacked Egypt itself. So that's what we get from the broader history of the Philistines. The Bible doesn't talk about this. What were they doing? What was the Bible always just talks about how that those people involved themselves with the Israelites, 
and their interaction. Yet these this didn't happen in a in a vacuum. Obviously, the Philistines had more interactions with others, and this is what is recorded in the walls of a temple for Ramses the third. Even with the Egyptian clues, many questions remained. The Egyptian texts that these noted that these peoples came from the islands, but did not specify which. Further, it was not clear if all the groups linked with the Peleset came from the same region. Did they all start out together? Or did new groups join them during their travels? So that's the, the evidence coming in. See, peoples, Philistines, Peleset coming in the 12th century. Where did they come from? It doesn't say. But it looks like we have the introduction of a new people here, based on the archaeological evidence, the culture that's there, and also Egyptian hieroglyphs. He continues, in the late 20th century, archaeologists turned to the cities that the Bible lists as Philistine with modern excavations at Ashdod, Ashkelon, Akron, and finally Telesafia Gat. Each excavation team made similar discoveries. In the 12th century BCE, at all these sites, new ideas about architecture, family, food, and art appeared suddenly and broadly. The patterns were only rarely found elsewhere in the southern Levant, but they could be connected to the west, either to Cyprus or to the Mycenaean archaeological culture encompassing mainland Greece, Crete, and the western coast of Turkey. And so from the material culture, it looked like we have an Aegean people that are coming here to, to uh, being the Philistines, that are coming to, to migrate and then settle here. In 1995, Lawrence Steger, the late director of the Leon Levy expedition to, to Ashkelon, tried to address this specific difficulty by building a checklist, basically saying, did these people import all the stuff or was it the introduction of a new, new people? Build a checklist to determine whether there was enough evidence in the region of the Philistine occupation to show an actual migration as opposed to internal developments or trade. He argued that the material culture in the Philistia was distinct from its surroundings and linked to earlier cultural patterns in the Aegean. There was, pl- there was a plausible route that linked the two areas. As a result, Steger, who has since, since, since died, supported the long-held idea of an Aegean migration in the 12th century. Other archaeologists agreed, arguing that when the cultural change is wide and deep enough, when it touches the very patterns of hearth and home, it can be considered a deep change and can therefore be linked to migration. So again, the material culture is so great, the change is so great that there was a deep change. We've got a people migrating into this, this area. So now we have to talk about, so where did they come from? The Aegean region is quite large. Is that, can we get more specific? So this is what, again, this piece by Daniel Master writes. I'm definitely not reading all of it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's an easy read. It's, it's really, uh, really well written. So if you can get a copy or if you do have a subscription to Bar, uh, definitely worth going ahead and reading this article. He continues, uh, well, this is a little bit further down. Beginning in 2013, however, the first direct evidence for the origin of the inhabitants of Philistia in the 12th and 11th centuries emerged. The Leon Levy expedition to Ashkelon in concert with Max Planck, the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History, launched a program to chart the genetic profiles of the ancient Bronze and Iron Age inhabitants of the city of Ashkelon. Rather than examining ancient texts, perhaps written much later, and having an agenda of their own, 
or looking at the ancient artifacts that provide only indirect evidence, the project sought to look at the genetic material of the inhabitants themselves. So let's find, and it was very rare and kind of a, a happenstance that they actually found uh, found these, these graves themselves. It was a tip by a, an IAA, a former IAA worker, I believe, um, and said, you need to go check over here. This is where the graves are. And some di- very diligent effort actually found some graves from this time and, and earlier and later. Uh, <clears throat> so these, these burials were, were found. This is what um, uh, he continues after, after they did some of these, uh, t- some of the testing on the genetic makeup of these individuals. In the first round of testing, the genetic sequence of one of these infants was very different from that of Ashkelon's Bronze in Age inhabitants. The infant's ancestors had came from somewhere else, had come from somewhere else. In fact, this infant showed genetic characteristics of the Western European hunter-gatherers. This name is shorthand for a Stone Age population that lived in Europe long ago and never left. He writes, Um... These genetic anomalies can be found in many European populations, though it's not something as specific as Spanish, French, or German would be in modern Europe. It is much broader. It is a much broader marker, noted in varying degrees in populations from Crete to the British Isles. Here, for the first time, and really only time, in the Bronze or Iron Age world, the geographic foreign genetic material appears in families in Ashkelon. When all the genetic material was taken into account, not just the small Western European hunter-gatherer component, there was no place was a better match for the genetic material found than Crete. Though places further west also produced good possible matches, the result was so interesting that it needed further confirmation. And so he's talking about that earlier study that we wrote about that came out in 2019. Now, there were plenty of stories about this as we covered. I mean, this, 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 uh, the study itself just talked about how southern, uh, the southern European origins seemed like they were clear for the Philistines. This, this groundbreaking study at the time in 2019 was called Ancient DNA Sheds Light on the Genetic Origins of Early Iron Age Philistines. And it talks about the process. I went through this study. And it's interesting how the study itself back then just really did not draw attention at all to what the Bible says uh, about the origins of the Philistines. And it did not draw attention at all that the best possible match that they had back then in the first study to um, to the to where that where this people these people migrated from came from specifically the island of Crete. Now, the Bible, in several places, as he's going to get to, talks about the Philistines coming from a place called Kaftor, as we'll read, being Crete. And what we write at the time, we write, we wrote this. I don't pretend to understand all the nuances involved in comparing the genome of ancient individuals. However, in reading through the fine print of the study, something jumped out at me that's surely most important. This part of the study compared the Southern European-infused Philistines to their closest relatives elsewhere. And guess where the most similar people were found? Crete. Buried under the subhead, genetic discontinuity between the Bronze Age and early Iron Age people of Ashkelon, it says this, The best supported one infers that the the European Philistines derives around 43% of its ancient 
of its ancestry from the Greek Bronze Age, Crete, Odigeratria BA, and the rest from the earlier local population. So back then, the closest match that they found from uh, the early uh, Iron Age, late Bronze Age, early Iron Age, Philistine inhabitants, where do they come from? The best go that they had, the best evidence they had was that came from Crete. And it wasn't dwelt on. It wasn't dwelt on at all. There was no mention of that's exactly what the Bible says. This matches the historical document from the time in several different places. However, they went back and they did the right thing in many ways in terms of finding more evidence. And that's what they did. The result was so interesting that it needed further confirmation. Although you wouldn't tell it was that interesting based on the first uh, first study. After all, after looking at all the infants, three additional individuals from Ashkelon, uh, from Ashkelon, all infants buried beneath houses still had enough preserved genetic material for analysis. The results, now this is the stunning thing, the results in each case showed the non same non-local genetic heritage, meaning that all these different infants, their genetic heritage that wasn't part of the local Canaanite population, same as that, came from elsewhere. And it was the same location, same specific location. But interestingly, none of the four individuals was closely related to each other. So you could say, you know, you've got four infants or four young people and it's a family burial. Of course, they, they came as one family from one location. It just happens to be Crete. No, these, these individuals are not related. They're buried, uh, in, I think, in the same location or close by, but they are not related to one another by family. They are not part of each other's families. And you can tell that from the genetic makeup of these people. So they're not from the same families, yet they're from the same place. He writes, this was not just one new family. It was a decidedly new population. Total new population. And this is what he writes. And I think this might be one of the last paragraphs that I go through. Perhaps I'll... I'll no, no, I still want, I want to go through some others. Uh, for researchers, this definitive evidence established a 12th century migration. These tests showed that a significant number of the Iron Age inhabitants of Ashkelon came from somewhere else. Even though 100% of the infants... With preserved DNA showed some of this ancestry, this does not mean that Ashkelon's entire 12th century population was made up of immigrants, but it does show unequivocally that a migration occurred. When these new data were combined with the contemporary, contemporary Egyptian references that describe the Palisette or Philistines as part of a migrating group, along with the later biblical references to Philistine Ashkelon, the story the origin story becomes clear. And what's the origin story of these people? People came to Ashkelon in the 12th century and settled there, probably as part of a migration that started in Crete. In Crete. These were the original Philistines of Ashkelon. <clears throat> so just really interesting. Um, and then he's going to quote what the Bible says about this i'll just quote these two uh these two parts of the scripture parts of bible that talk about where the philistines come from uh, this is what it says in amos amos is eighth century eighth century prophet <clears throat> 
And he writes this, Are you not as the children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel? Says the Lord, Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt? Right? Israel came from Egypt. That's what the Bible says. Out of Egypt, at least. And the Philistines from Kaftor. And Aram from Ker. So that's Amos, 8th century BCE. This is 600 years after the migration happened. Jeremiah, a hundred years after Amos, says this, Because of the day that comes to spoil the Philistines, to cut off from Tyre and Zidon every helper that remains, for the Lord will spoil the Philistines, the remnant of the Isle of Kaftor. The remnant from the Isle of Crete. And this is what he writes uh, about this. He says, Amos's connection between the Philistines and Kaftor is not something that could have been derived de novo in the 8th century, even with the most advanced tools in our modern toolkit. Indeed, if archaeologists and geneticists had not been able to sequence genomes from that sliver of time in the 12th and 11th century, no one would have caught this at all. He's like, how is this even possible? This is 500 years after um, the migration happened. And Amos is dead on. He's accurate. Perfectly accurate. Jeremiah, writing more than a century after Amos, says something similar. The Lord is about to devastate the Philistines, the remnant of the Isle of Kaftor. Then he writes this. The remnant of Kaftor is not primarily a description of the place from which they came. It's a way of identifying the people themselves. There is no reason to suggest that this connection to Kaftor was particularly important or meaningful to Amos or Jeremiah. It hardly mattered to them where the Canaanites, well, sorry, where the Philistines came from. And then later on he says this, other, skepti- other scholars have been skeptical that Iron Age peoples could remember a name or an Aegean connection for five centuries. And no doubt much was forgotten over the centuries. But now, with the genetic results from the 12th century Ashkelon paired with the text of Amos and Jeremiah from the end of the Iron Age, it is certain that someone could and did accurately remember at least one key aspect of Philistine history their origin, their origin. And the article goes on further to talk about how remarkable this is. Now, it's what's remarkable is that these biblical authors are writing about the early history. I mean, they are writing a long time after. This is 500, 600 years after. And yet we have an accurate history of the origins of these people, the immediate origins of these people, because what this DNA study shows and they did a wide gamut of, of individuals from different time periods. That once you get further down into the iron, further down into the Iron Age, that there's no real new influx of people from the Aegean. It's like the uh, or from Crete. It's like the migration happened in a wave, and then as time goes on, the lo- they lo- they married into the local population. They keep on having children, children, and children, and then the Aegean or the Cretan uh, genome becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. The percentage of these people that derive their heritage from Crete becomes smaller and smaller and smaller to the point that the time when Amos and Jeremiah are writing, these people are not fundamental Cretans. They're not. And so how did they know? It's not like there's more people coming from Crete and they're having a, you know family reunions every time for 500 years. By that time, the people, of, the people are Canaanite or from the local area, the local population, the Southern Levant. They've been married so much. And yet, Prophet Amos and Jeremiah still know it's still preserved 
in history the exact place these people came from five or six hundred years earlier. Now, I mean, lots of people would like to look at the book of Jeremiah. Well, the book of Jeremiah, I think most people will say, is an accurate historical account because he's an eyewitness to those events. And he, he writes at the same time that those events happened. But what about when he refers to what happened 500 years earlier? Now, most a lot of biblical scholars would come and say, well, what would he know about what happened 500 years earlier? He wasn't an eyewitness to that history. So how can we take him as being accurate? He's got his bias. And, and basically, if not for the bias, he's ignorant. He's ignorant. And so this is this big argument that goes on that we can't possibly believe anything that these later writers wrote because they weren't there. Well, here you've got some hard science that says that Jeremiah might have been living 600 years after and Amos might have been living 500 years after this event took place, but they're dead on. They're accurate. These were not uneducated men. They knew their history. They could write things down. They wrote things down. They had written records. They had histories preserved. And it was I, probably general knowledge at the time where the Philistines came from. So this, again, is just some wonderful vindication of not just you know, the Bible being true, but I would say a very, a, a, an author far after the event itself that they're describing being a biblical author, being very accurate to describe that event. And again, people would like to say late authorship of the Bible proves that, or at least we can't take it as a credible source of history because they wrote so many years after. Well, that this this in this case, um, this evidence coming out of the ground in little infants out of Ashkelon through the work of Daniel Master and, and others in the team, it's showing that, that that is not the case, that we can trust the biblical text as being accurate. And going forward, let's let's give it the benefit of the doubt. Let's not just discredit Amos or Jeremiah. Let's say that, well, the biblical tradition says this, so that should have some weight because the hard sciences minus scholarly interpretation are now bearing those facts out, such as this DNA study. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Thanks for taking your time with today's program. If you haven't yet, please do go ahead and request our magazine, Let the Stone Speak. This is uh, the magazine that's produced by the Armstrong Institute of Biblical Archaeology here in Jerusalem, Israel. And do go ahead and and get a copy of this. We do take uh, pains to write things in an informative way, uh, one that, that... is still accurate as well as far as not um, diluting the science out of something. We want it to be very understandable, but we still want it to be factual. And this this basically focuses, this magazine focuses on biblical history and biblical archaeology as well. It's a, a magazine that is for free. Wherever you are in the world, you can get a copy. If you want, you can sign up yourself without emailing uh, the program uh, or emailing us. You can do that by going to our website, armstronginstitute.org. And you'll see on the top there, publications. Click on that magazine and you can get a free subscription or just scroll down on the front page and you'll see where you can get a free subscription. Also, please sign up to, to our email. It's brief at armstronginstitute.org. This is an email that's going to come out a few times a week. It, it makes sure that you won't miss any new significant development in biblical archaeology. We are going to put out an email when we have new content. We're not going to fill your inbox up with thousands of emails with things that you aren't interested in. We'll make sure that they are things that are right up your alley 
and uh, right into uh, this the heart of biblical archaeology. If you'd like, you can also send some feedback to our program or discuss things that you'd like to see us cover on the program as well. We're always happy to hear uh, your ideas. And your emails can be sent to letters at armstronginstitute.org. Thanks again for being with me today, and I'll see you next time.